Welcome to the Terrible the Podcast, where two friends discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare themselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. I'm Renee, a longtime true crime enthusiast who has spent years listening to countless cases. Marie, on the other hand, has recently delved into true crime after being recommended a case on a YouTube channel. We both believe once you watch or listen to your first true crime case, there's no going back. So let's do this. So before we get started with the new case, we thought we would add a little segment to our episodes. So a little background info, Marie and I have known each other for I think over 12 years. Yes, I tried to count and calculate that today. <laughs> and we actually don't live in the same city anymore. So recording these episodes has given us a great reason to spend time together, but also update each other on our lives. So instead of catching up before we click record, we've decided to start sharing it with you all. Okay. So on my end, since we last recorded, there's a couple different things I've wanted to chat about. I've recently ordered us Haribo, the true crime podcast, mugs and stickers, and I've been excited ever since. I'm so excited. <laughs> Renee texted me that she had gotten them and sent me a picture, and I just cannot wait. I'm so excited to have them. And in other guest news, um, I'm getting ready to go home for Christmas, which means Matthew and me will be in the same city for about five days. It's a quick <laughs> trip but it's gonna be nice and it's gonna be nice to see friends and family we have a girls night planned and I'm just looking forward to it yeah it's really nice the holidays kind of gives us a reason to get Renee back home and see her so that's really exciting speaking of Christmas when we're recording this right now it's coming up in about uh less than a week now I've been trying to get into the Christmas spirit I've been doing a lot of baking trying some new recipes some have failed, some have succeeded. So, you know, at least they all taste really good with all that sugar in there. It's also <laughs> my first Christmas in my own home. So I've been really excited to decorate and go to HomeSense every single day to just see <laughs> if I could find new decorations. In other news, since we've been doing this podcast, it's gotten me really interested in true crime and also just things that are kind of related so since I don't want to listen to any cases that Renee is going to speak about, I've been kind of leaning towards prison documentaries and I find them really fascinating because there's so many on YouTube that are like three hours long and they follow the journey of inmates in prisons for like the year, the whole year in three hours. So it's really intriguing. I should, I say you should give it a try. I feel like I'm never going to stop being shocked at the fact that you listen to these documentaries. <laughs> like background info, yeah. we're a, a group of four besties and I am like the, or used to be the one weirdo that was into true crime. Yeah. And I, like, I would literally shame her for it because I was like, how can you sleep at night? This is so scary. Why are you doing this to yourself? And now here I am. The minute Marie texted me saying, <laughs> oh my God, I've watched my first YouTube true crime podcast and I'm hooked. My answer was, we're doing a podcast. Yeah, We're doing a podcast. Like yep. I finally found my friend, my, <laughs> my true crime soulmate. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of where the podcast was born from. So I just feel like this is such a safe space for me now. <laughs> it is. I'm I'm so happy I'm able to provide that now and encourage you to share these stories with me so that, like we said earlier, we can pass them on and not forget the victims and just kind of go through cases and, and learn from them. Yeah. 
So I guess we should get started. So um, I got several different sources for this case. So I'm finding it strange a little bit. Some articles have um, a name attached to them, like a, a writer or a journalist attached to them, and some don't. So I'll, I'll definitely list out the ones that do. So from CBC, a couple articles from Shamini Yogaritnam and Lori Fagan, and CTV article from Joanne Schnur, and an Ottawa Citizen article from Gary Dimock. So it's January 29th, 2014 in Ottawa, Ontario. Our case starts in a suburban neighborhood called Barhaven, in the home of Jagtar and Bupinder Paul Gill, and they have three children together. At this time, they have a 15-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old. On this day, so on January 29th, it happens to be the 17th wedding anniversary. But unfortunately, Jagtar is recovering from a hernia surgery. Around noon, Bupinder Paul and his 15-year-old daughter head out to run some errands. The 15-year-old girl was joining her father because she wanted to buy her mom flowers and a cake to help in her recovery and to celebrate her parents' anniversary. Upon the return, they noticed the front doors unlocked, which was strange because the door was typically left locked. Confused, the 15-year-old girl enters the home and finds her mother's lifeless body covered in blood. This is early afternoon. Jagtar has been laying in her living room recovering from surgery. So this means midday while her family members were out or running errands, someone broke into the Gill family home and bludgeoned and stabbed Jagtar while she was at her most vulnerable. Wow. The fact that her 15 year old girl had to find her that way. That's, yeah. that's first of all, that's really young, but to see your own mother at that age. Um, in that state that's really sad and like I just picture like a typical Sunday or a weekend right. I don't know what day of the week it was I didn't yeah. double check but you know you're running errands mm-hmm. with one of your parents and then you come home and yeah. you're just unloading grocery bags yeah. it's a typical you know day yeah that's not something that you would ever think to come home to no definitely not and I think you can find the name of a Jagtar's children but they're minors at this point so I just feel mm-hmm. like there's no yeah there's no point to really there's no reason for it Exactly. Yeah. So we're just going to refer to her as a 15-year-old girl or, okay. or uh, Jagtar's daughter. I think it's it's a kind of more respectful that way. Mm-hmm. Jagtar's daughter later told detectives that she froze, yelled for her father, then ran up the stairs to phone 911, which I feel like is a pretty normal reaction, Like especially mm-hmm. like we were just saying, like you're not expecting to stumble onto something like this. Yeah, exactly. And like pretty brave of a 15 year old to just stop. And yes, she says she froze, but I'm assuming, you know, this probably felt like eternity, but with a couple Mm -hmm. seconds, all of a sudden just books it upstairs to phone 911. Yeah. Like trying to analyze what's going on here, what she needs to do. And I'm sure there's so much going on in your mind when you see something like that. Definitely. So she quickly realizes that the phone did not have a dial tone. So this is a landline. Okay. So this is at this point, this is like a scary movie, right? Someone's cut the phone line. Oh, okay. That's what that means. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they haven't actually cut the phone line. Later, they realized the phone was just unplugged out of the oh, wall. Oh, okay. Yes. But it's just, I'm just saying, like, it's like the setting of mm-hmm. a scary movie. Like, there's an right. intruder. You try to call mm-hmm. for help. There's no dial tone. Like, mm-hmm. craziness is happening. At this point, one of the daughter's friends arrives for a planned study date. She then borrows that friend's cell phone to dial 911. So the account I'm telling you is obviously coming from the 15-year-old daughter. As we mentioned, we don't feel like it's necessary to say her name. She says that her father was panicking and seemed worried. He was on his knees, 
trying to move his wife's body. So her father, I guess, didn't have a phone either to call 911. Like there's no cell phones in that house, only that one landline. I'm not sure. I guess it's not clear. Like the Mm -hmm. impression I get in my head is that the daughter comes across the scene, runs up the stairs, tries to dial 911. The father goes immediately to his wife's body Mm -hmm. and you know, either first aid or obviously it's pure panic and chaos. But yeah, so this kind of how I feel. And then I think the daughter runs back downstairs. Simultaneously, this friend is arriving Mm -hmm. and like maybe hands his cell phone Mm -hmm. over. And that's kind of what kicks off the first responders arriving at the scene. Okay. First responders arrived, but unfortunately, Jagtar was pronounced dead at the scene. I'm assuming the Gill House is now attracting a lot of attention from neighbors. As I mentioned, this is suburbia, and the police and ambulance showing up at your house will, you know, attract some attention. Mm-hmm. We both grew up in neighborhoods very similar to this, and I can definitely tell you when, yeah. when a first responder was somewhere around the neighborhood, you were peeking out the window trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah, and I'm not saying stuff like this is is something you find easily in in more of a city scenario, but in the suburbs, like you would never really think of anything like that happening. It's it's like the suburbs is kind of just like the picture perfect, like families, kids, not necessarily a murder um, at your neighbor's house. Yeah, exactly. I feel like even if you're seeing these first responders, the lights are going, the sirens, mm-hmm. whatever it is, you're definitely not assuming that exactly. murder is just taking place. Especially yeah. midday, right? Midday is what blows my mind. True. So one particular neighbor, an acquaintance of the Gill family, Gurpreet Ronald, approaches the home to try and get more information. Gurpreet introduces herself to one of the first responding officers and asks them what happened. She's later informed that Jagtar has died. Gurpreet is visibly upset and an officer tries to comfort her while she cries. Let me give you a bit of information about Jagtar. So she moved to Canada from India. I couldn't exactly figure out what year that was or how old she was, but I think she was an adult when she when she came to Canada. And the reason I believe this is because in my research, um, I saw that a few years after she moved in 19, 19- 1997, she went back to India to marry her now husband, Bupinder Paul, in an arranged marriage. Okay. So I, I think she was maybe in her, her early to mid-20s. When the couple moved back to Ottawa together, they worked hard to make money in hopes to really settle down and grow their family. They did eventually save up enough money to buy their own home in Barhaven. Bupinder Paul worked as an OC Transpo bus driver, and Jagtar worked for a tech company. So for those of you who don't know, OC Transpo is kind of the, the bus company that runs throughout Ottawa. She had unfortunately recently been laid off. As I mentioned, the couple had three kids and it was reported that they were also taking care of either both or one set of their aging parents. I believe they even lived with one set of in-laws. Let's talk about the investigation. There's a saying in the true crime community, and as we discussed early on, Mackie is a little bit of a newbie, (laughs) but the saying is the husband did it, which usually means that investigators, uh, you know, anyone in law enforcement is looking at the husband first. So they always kind of start as the husband as a primary suspect, and then they rule him out once, you know, it's it becomes evidently clear that he is not. Exactly. So basically they look at people that are closest to mm-hmm. the person that's been, you know, that the crime has been yeah. committed against. But, you know, it's, 
I have to look up the statistics, but, you know, women are way more likely to be murdered by their husband than a stranger or, you know, so they're definitely looking at the husband first before anything else, which is very upsetting, right? Yeah, like it's really you... scary to think about that because, <laughs> you know, when you get into a relationship that I feel like that thought doesn't ever really cross your mind, you know, I'm looking for this, this, this with a partner, not necessarily, I'm looking for a partner that won't kill me. Um, <laughs> exactly. So... You know, like the vows, you know, you marry someone for life yeah you just kind of assume that they won't kill you but (laughs) maybe it's something that people should i don't know take a second to really think about that welcome to the club because now you won't stop thinking about it exactly so this means that of course investigators checked out the husband's alibi uh, which was corroborated by his daughter of course and surveillance footage of the stores where they were shopping Mm-hmm. They moved on to seizing all the video cameras in the neighborhood. So now there are a ton of ring cameras, yeah, right? Like yeah. I hear now on true crime cases, everything is being caught by ring doorbell cameras. Yep. Um, this at the time, I believe Barhaven was kind of a more up and coming area. So there were show homes and construction still going on. Mm-hmm. So that some of the video cameras they seized were from show homes or like okay. construction sites. Yeah, that makes sense because nowadays, um, like like you just said, security cameras and ring cameras are much more affordable, I assume, than they were back then. And so people are getting their hands on them a lot more easily. And, you know, what's another $50 to just ensure you have security at your home? So back then, I mean, that's not even that long ago. But then again, it just shows you how how the the evidence can really change from year to year but at least they had some sort of video footage to use yeah doorbell cameras definitely weren't as widely spread mm-hmm. and we at a terrible at the true crime podcast highly endorse everybody get a doorbell oh, yeah. camera oh, please yeah. everyone get a doorbell camera mm-hmm. and so right at the same time that they're they're seizing all this uh video camera footage or whatever they can find throughout the neighborhood forensic officers are searching the home for evidence so this is you know dna fingerprints blah blah all that kind of all that kind of good stuff that could point them in the right direction mm-hmm. During their search, the police find a blood-stained metal weightlifting bar in a box in the basement. What investigators do next is amazing police work. They decide to replace the blood-stained bar with a replica. They then obtain a warrant to install a surveillance camera in the basement. Their goal was to see if someone would return for what could have been the murder weapon. Obviously, they must have had some suspicion that someone close to the family could have been responsible for the crime. Whoa. I've never heard of that before. Not that I'm super educated in the stuff, but that seems like really cool that they could do something like that. And like, think I'm of that you, yes, this case is like amazing police work through and through, which like I love, like let's celebrate a bit the cases yeah. where like things just get done and they're done right. Like this is just like- That's so smart. Amazing. Wow. Which also leads us to question like, mm, why would they think that, someone would come back for that right like yeah everything so far has led us to believe that this isn't necessarily someone in the family or mm-hmm. that this would be some you yeah know, they're not sure so so they're covering all bases at this point blood-stained metal weightlifting bar <gasps> yeah so i Ooh. think this is this is like the little bars where you can like attach the weights onto okay yeah like a right? freehand like, weight yeah Sure, I was going to say you probably know more about this <laughs> than I do. Yeah. yeah. So so throughout, I think it took them several days to kind of for forensics to go top to bottom in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that they found. Yeah. So, so they're just replacing it with a replica to see, you know, what's going to happen next. 
The day after the murder, investigators set up some interviews. One of the people interviewed is Gertrude Ronald, the neighbor that had been by on the day of the murder to wonder, or sorry, inquire about what had happened. Gertrude is not only a neighbor, but also worked with Bupinder Paul at OC Transpo. She is married to a man named Jason, Jason Ronald, and has two children of her own. I think it's two. Um, it was reported in a couple different articles. I just want to say I think because I'm not exactly sure. So during the interrogation, or sorry, maybe not interrogation, but during the, you know, the chit chat between Gertrude and the cops or the investigators, she admits to them that Pinderpaul would call her three to four times a day. Hmm. Yeah. To which I said, question mark, question mark, question yeah. mark. Maybe <laughs> lift up a red flag. Yeah. It's definitely not evidence of murder, obviously. Yeah. But if my husband was calling another yeah. woman three to four times a day, especially I'd definitely like, be concerned. Yeah, especially a neighbor. Like if you live that close, why do you need to call each other? Right, it's not like you're running over to grab some sugar flour. Yeah, like let's say, that oh, there's something in your yard that you should Mm -hmm. probably pick up, you know, instead of calling, you could just say, hey, or pick it up yourself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I agree with those question marks. Let's pause on Gurpreet for now and go back to Bupinder Paul. Remember earlier when I was telling you about the warrant that got approved for the secret video camera? Yeah. Well... Weeks after the murder, investigators watch as Jagtar's husband, Bupinderpal, is caught on camera removing the replica of one of the suspected murder weapons. Of course. Wow. The footage showed Bupinderpal removing the bar from its box. He tries to hide it under his winter jacket and up his sleeve. He seems to realize it's not fitting and puts it back. So I guess this is bigger than like a hand weight. I don't know. Like definitely not yeah. like a bench press bar because it can't be that big. Maybe Long, somewhere yeah. between. Interesting. Uh, yes. So the next day, Bupinderpal stuffs the bar down his pants and zips up his coat. It's reported that the police then follow him and watch him toss the bar into a wooded area. Well, yeah, because like obviously that's sketchy the police seeing that with their camera that they put in there he's literally doing exactly what they wanted to see um in terms of who may have used that as a murder weapon exactly so i feel like it's not clear if they saw the video of the day before and thought okay let's send someone to sit on the house Mm -hmm. or if the whole time they had been watching bupinder paul slash the gill family home not clear but there's definitely a lot of reason to be hovering around for investigators Mm -hmm. so the question is why would Bupinder Paul get rid of potential evidence in his wife's murder? Well, yeah. what I'm about to tell you next will help put all the pieces together. Bupinder Paul was having an affair with the with, neighbor. Yes, with, sorry, you I took, took that word right out of my mouth. You ruined my surprise. <laughs> with none other than his neighbor and colleague, Gurpreet Ronald. Oh the gosh. affair had been going on for three to four years. That's a long time. Yeah, so you know what? The husband did it. I'm sorry, but the husbands were the looking husband at you did first. It. The husband did it. Wow. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like this is not the first time where I hear something go wrong like that because of an affair. To me, that's just ridiculous that you have to kill someone in order to be with someone else, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're jumping ahead a little okay, bit. Okay, sorry. But no, that's okay. <laughs> it's, I feel like I'm, I'm just going to say to just like mm-hmm. people that think, or not even think, people that have just like regular thoughts. Yeah. Murder is not something that pops into your head. No. 
No. Right? You're you're married, okay, you fall in love with someone else mm-hmm. and you, you divorce, you get a separation, you move exactly. on with your life, you know. Like if it doesn't work out, okay, you know, I had an affair, let's just end this. It's not like it, you know, someone's life needs to be ended over it. Exactly. Investigators go and retrieve the bar that was tossed by Buhinder Powell. They then issue a news release telling the media about the bar, but not about anything else. So they're keeping everything very very tight to the vest, um, but they they are releasing little things, and I wonder if they're just trying to kind of trip him up or mm-hmm. you know make him a little bit more paranoid. Right. At this point, the police have clear suspects, but they don't share anything with the media. The next part is amazing. Like I said, amazing police work. As I was reading through and researching this case, I was just like clapping my hands, <laughs> thinking about how I wish every other case we would cover yeah. would be just just as clear and just diligent. You know, such hard work. Yes, yeah. exactly. An effort to confirm their suspicions, a detective goes to Gerpreet's home. The detective poses as an employee conducting a door-to-door survey for Ontario Construction Association. They have Gertpreet enter a fake contest application and lick the seal and envelope <gasps> to then like kind of Get close de- off yeah. her, you know, entrance to the contest. <laughs> okay, true crime newbie, what are you thinking? <laughs> this is a lot because I just find it very fascinating how policemen are able to come up with these ideas not necessarily done before but something that they know that they can maybe put to use to be able to get more information um and just create scenarios like that I find that like you said amazing it just sounds like a freaking movie yeah craziness so this envelope is used to match Gerpreet's saliva to DNA found on the original bar one of the suspected murder weapons. Officers also placed a killer note, so a note that said, quote unquote, killer, on Gerpreet's windshield and watched as she panicked <gasps> and disposed of the knife. We'll, we'll attach a picture of the knife um, definitely on the YouTube, um, but also our Instagram. This is literally a movie. Right. Him coming up and seeing the killer note, the reaction. No, this is her. This is her. This is the woman he's having an affair with. <gasps> they stuck a killer note on her car. Oh. And watched as she got rid of a knife. Oh. And they pick it up as soon as she gets rid of it and file that thing into evidence. Oh, to get her DNA? No, Marie, they've oh. already gotten her DNA. <laughs> they've already gotten her DNA on the envelope. I'm sorry. This is just a very complex I know, case. Going <laughs> just on. Hopefully like... everyone else is following. Yeah. So they get her DNA from the envelope that she licks. Right. 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 And right. then they place that note on her car just to kind of, I guess, see what she's going to yeah. do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if I committed a murder and people were like spray painting killer or whatever, on, yeah. or just sticking a note in my mailbox, you're panicking, right? Yeah. You, this is causing stress. You're panicking. You're, what do I do next? I have to get rid of potential evidence. Yeah. Which is nice. Nice. That they get rid of. Got it. So with all of this, on April 8th, she is arrested and charged with first degree murder. It's unclear from my research at this point if Pinderpaul is aware of the arrest. Oh. Now we're on April 13th. This is four months approximately after the murder. Bupinderpal calls the police to tell them that he found the weightlifting bar 
two days earlier in the woods off Cedar View Road. Yeah, right. Right. The same bar that he had been seen on video uh-huh. dumping in the woods. That Police had surveillance video of him dumping. Exactly. So this is confusing. Mm-hmm. I guess he either, one, which is unclear, knew that Gurpreet had been arrested and was hoping to confirm her involvement in the crime. Mm. Or he just grew tired of waiting for someone to find it and thought, I'm just going to call this in like I was oh. maybe going for a walk or whatever. And I, and I saw this and I thought, oh, this is my old yeah. whatever bar, weightlifting bar that I went missing on the day of the murder. Yeah. That same day, detectives and investigators who were obviously, you know, they knew what had been going on. They were very much behind the scenes, way more than he knew. Yeah. They call him in for an interview. During the interview, he denies putting the bar in the woods two months earlier. The police then show him the video evidence they have of him dumping this bar. Good. Right? Like, I, I can't, you know, when you're like a kid and you tell a lie and you get, caught, like, I just feel like this is like exactly like you just, like, you're trying so how, hard exactly. to come up with a lie, but like, how do you backtrack? Yes. How are you going yes, to dig yourself video. out of this one? Exactly. Yeah. Good like, luck. Good luck, dude. Yeah. So after watching this video, this is his response, and I'll let you read it because this is a direct quote. You can see how smart I am for this. If anything, I should have put gloves on. Weird. What are you saying that you did? Like what's happening? So like here? yeah, so like put gloves on to They didn't get rid match of your it. fingerprints, dude. They matched the video surveillance of you doing Exactly. It. You having gloves on wouldn't yeah. have changed anything about the video. Exactly. So clearly you're not smart. So I'm just reiterating what you said about yeah. yourself. Fair enough. So he's then asked about the affair. At first he denies it. And then after, you know, some time and Mm -hmm. probably some proof shown to him, right? Yeah. He then admits he had been romantically involved with Gurpreet for about three to four years, like we had Mm -hmm. discussed earlier. So everything comes to light. The interview continues and detectives ask Bupinder Paul, quote, Why did you do all this? All this is hell of a lot worse than just grabbing a suitcase and walking out of the house. Gil responds, This is deep enough to put me in jail. What else do you need? And obviously, just a reminder that Gil is Bupinder Paul. That's his last name. So in a okay. lot of the interviews, then he's referred to to by that. Um, so yeah, this is what we've been talking about, right? Like if, you, if you're not happy mm-hmm. in your marriage, you're not happy in your relationship, like... There's no need to murder. But how is that the answer? Like Exactly. How is that the if answer? If anything, that obviously just makes it worse for you because you're going to be in jail and you can't be with whoever you want to be with. And your poor children too. Right. We Yeah, we haven't really even talked about that. Three mm-hmm. kids. He has three three kids kids, yeah so throughout the interview he maintains that he had nothing to do with the murder he even tells detective to ask gurpreet why she did it so not only at this point has he had an involvement in the murder of his own wife he's now throwing his quote-unquote mistress right under the bus like are you serious yeah because I don't know what's going through his mind in this point. Where are you trying to get at with this? Like the murder has been done. So now what do you think this is going to do for you? But like you said, throwing her under the bus, what is this going to accomplish? I don't want to say like if one thing it could be, you could say it was for love. Obviously that doesn't excuse anything because it's mm-hmm. just craziness. But it's, it's not even because he's straight up throwing her under the bus. Yeah. So it's not like he's trying to yeah. put it on someone else so that he can be with her. Protect her, be mm-hmm. with her. No, he's yeah. straight telling detectives and go ask her about it exactly yeah still unknown if he knows at this point that she's been arrested or not 
Right. right. Mm-hmm. So at the end of this interview, Lupindrapal is handcuffed and charged with first degree murder. We get a hand clap, everyone happy cheering, throwing their hats. Thank goodness. The trial for the murder of Jagtar takes place in 2016. Gurpreet and Bupinderpal both plead not guilty to the charges for first degree murder. I don't know what they're thinking at this point. Like, I don't know. How are you getting out of this, right? I don't know because I also don't, I've asked myself that question like on other cases, like how are you pleading not guilty? Like why if there's so much evidence against you yeah i don't know if this is like legal advice mm-hmm. they're getting from their you know their legal team or if like they're just in such denial that they think they can really get away with this yeah i mean i guess it's been done before right there's been like some yeah. evidence against people and they've gotten off so mm-hmm. they're they're really going for it yeah so the pair are being tried together but they have separate defense teams trial lasts nine weeks during this time many things come to light and we will cover just some of them because obviously nine weeks is a long time that's a long time for a lot of dirt on people's personal lives Mm -hmm. to really be exposed so the crown's theory is that bupinder park couldn't afford a divorce with his wife and it was no longer working and supporting his kids and his elderly parents was just too much right like the money you lose in a divorce it was mm-hmm. just seemed overwhelming for him that the only way that Bupinder Paul and Gurpreet could be together was if Jagtar Gill were gone they hoped to convince the jury that while Gurpreet did the killing Bupinder Paul helped plan it and clean up the mess after which I feel like is what we're all thinking at this point right like obviously the video cameras or sorry surveillance cameras like at the grocery store him being with his daughter means mm-hmm. that he couldn't he have actually yeah. right, he, it seems like he couldn't have actually killed his wife right that's still a bad excuse that you can't afford a divorce like, this is someone's life someone that you yeah. once loved mm-hmm. like I, I just blows my mind yeah so they hope to to argue that you know they the couple were in love and they dreamed of being together and this is why they they plotted and carried out the murder of Jagtar. Which who bring who brings that up first? How are you sitting That's in a good bed lying together yeah. or whatever and mm-hmm. you know you're, you're go over the <laughs> Yeah, go over the different scenarios like okay, if we can't do this, we can do this, this. Like maybe we should you know? kill kill yeah. your wife. Yeah. And yeah. how does the other person react when, you know, whoever brings it up first, you know? Like, yes, I feel like it's a perfect storm of these two like twisted people knowing getting that they're together. Both, yeah. And yeah, knowing that they would both agree to something mm-hmm. as messed up as this. So this is a lot of testimony from the trial. So Gurpreet testified that her sexual relationship with Bupinder Paul was not satisfying and that she had an affair with another OC transport driver while she was involved with her co-accused. Which is like, wait a minute. So you're like, going to go ahead and kill someone, even though your sexual relationship with him is not even satisfying you, you're still going to go kill his wife so that you could be. What are you getting from this girl? That's, I have no words. I have no, <laughs> no words. words, right? And I honestly, they're just like this case and like no disrespect to the family. This is like a movie, like it's insanity. Yeah. I can't imagine how they feel hearing all of this and thinking, why is my loved one dead then? And all of this was going on, like you said, for three to four years, all of this time, I'm sure if I was one of those kids, I would just think those years were a lie, me and my family, you know, how do you recover from your father, Mm -hmm. with his mistress planning to kill and carrying out the killing of your mother? Mm -hmm. How? 
Uh, so, Gerpy continues by saying that uh, Pinderpaul was an emotional support for her and a shoulder to cry on, but that she didn't want to be with him. So I feel like we're, we're, we're thinking of this in the sense that, you know, she's obviously done this, right? Mm-hmm. She's creating a defense where there's no way she would have done this because there's no way that she cared enough about him to do or that. wanted to be with mm-hmm. him to do that. Right. So we have to keep that in mind, you know, whether she's being yeah. completely honest or, right. or not. But oh, man. Twists and turns in this. Wow. Seriously. So Gurpreet also told the court that she went over to Bupinder Paul's house that day. Yes, the day of the murder. So she admits to being there mm-hmm. on the day of the murder. She places herself literally at the crime scene. Well, she has to, right? Her mm-hmm. her DNA is all over the place. She basically True. has no choice but to come up with some reason as to why she was there. Yeah. Fair enough. So I think I read somewhere that she was there to borrow something or, you know, you know, one of these like neighborly excuses mm-hmm. to be there. Yeah. So she continues and testifies at the trial that she walked through the unlocked door because we know the door was not mm-hmm. unlocked and that she she discovers first, right? She's there before the family comes back and discovers okay. Jagtar's lifeless body. She then says she accidentally steps on a knife that I guess was around the scene of the crime. Mm-hmm. She then picks it up and tries to clean up after herself. She says she notices a box of gloves on the dining room table. She puts the gloves on, wipes the knife clear of her fingerprints. (laughs) In the process, she cuts herself. She then says she goes upstairs to search for a bandage. Okay, this is a joke. Right? Like, like the she fact said that she this. sees, yeah, and the fact that, in court. you know, in her mind in court right now, it's pretty much being said that she saw her murdered pretty much because you know it looks like a, a murder. Oh, oh, for sure. Exactly. This is like a murder So you scene. see someone that's been murdered and your first thought is, oh, you know, <laughs> let me touch this. Oh, shoot. I cocked my finger. Let me go get a Band-Aid. Instead of like 911, I just found my neighbor murdered in her house bludgeoned to death i sorry i'm laughing because of how it's a joke it's literally a joke and you know her legal team must have been desperate to Mm. let her say this Mm -hmm. like desperate because what else could you say and so the reason she has for all of this is to say that she was afraid that she would look guilty Mm-hmm. So when she stepped on the knife, she thought like, oh, uh oh, like my DNA or fingerprints yeah. now are on this knife. I don't want to look like I did this. So I'm going to clean it. And I'm just going to, without calling first responders, just shimmy myself out of the home and act like I never saw or did anything. And even if this were true, how can you just let the family member find their mother or their wife you know what I mean? Like if you if you did just happen to stumble across your your neighbor being murdered, you know, why don't you do something about it before her kids see her this way? You know, that's also something else to think about. Like you don't even think twice to like try to help your neighbor before. Yeah, you got to think you call 911. Mm-hmm. You check if there's, you know, a pulse or something. Hopefully you're yeah. using kind of CPR training or whatever. Yeah. Often the 911 dispatchers will actually walk you through mm-hmm. first aid. And if not, if you, if you know 
know the person has has you know died mm-hmm. and you wait at the front door hoping that the 15 year old daughter doesn't, doesn't walk, walk in, in. find her mom like that yeah that's like, what i find how very horrible awful. of a person yeah. do you have mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. like i'm sorry gurpreet but we don't want any of this bs like no okay but, nice try yeah i don't like that so let's spin this around and go back to bupinder paul so he testifies that while he did have an affair it ended in the fall of 2013 so a right. year before the murder right which technically let's all agree that that's saying. not true exactly let's all yeah. agree that that's again yeah. a lies lies mm-hmm. lies 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 so if you remember if you go all the way back to the beginning of the episode um Gerpreet has a husband and two kids oh yeah and the husband his name is jason and he is here during the trial and he is ready to spill it all <laughs> oh my god he knows stuff so jason testifies that he confronted his wife about the affair and she denied it he says he didn't believe her he admits to one day after a few drinks which we all know can get the best of us mm-hmm. He was fed up with the whole situation, which in this case, I do not blame him. Yeah. He goes over to the Gill house, so to go confront Bupinderpal. He says that Bupinderpal is not home and there was no confrontation. He then, in front of everyone in the courthouse, says, I was going to tell him to take her if he wanted her. <gasps> oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. You could not write this stuff, right? Like, this is total chaos. Yeah. Chaos is the right word. Yes. And keep in mind, I think that at this point, Gurpreet and Bupinderpal are in the courtroom, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so Mm -hmm. all these people are talking about each other. Like, oh, no, we didn't have an affair. Oh, no, it ended a while ago. I never even loved her. He didn't satisfy me sexually, whatever Mm. it was. And they have to be in front of other people that they're telling, basically fighting for their lives, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't want to go to prison. So Jason uh, testifies further that the final fight he had with his wife was in the fall of 2013. It was over the affair and the financial costs of separating and that she had actually lunged at him with a knife. <gasps> right. So we can kind of go back and forth like you know when a relationship goes sour mm-hmm. and you blame this person for that was that it you know no one can actually really corroborate this statement mm-hmm. but Gerpreed she states that this is all a fabrication. So that she didn't lunge at him right. with a knife kind of thing. Right. Okay. But from what we know now, is that that far off to think that? Exactly. It it would make sense that she Definitely did that. could. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of scary. I don't want to say, like, it feels like he's, like, loving this. Because obviously this is probably, like, the most tragic thing ever. For sure, But he yeah. is really, like, telling it all and giving mm-hmm. it all out there. He's not I afraid. Mean, yeah, he's not afraid exactly. to put in his input and let everyone know of, like, all this other information that could actually be useful in, in exactly. making sense of what actually happened. Yeah, I feel that's what the reason I said that is I feel like Gurpreet's team is, like, trying to make it seem like he's just trying to get, like some spotlight or like trying to like insert Mm -hmm. himself in but it seems like this man is like no like this happened and she needs to go away for it so Mm -hmm. thank you jason a neighbor of bupinderpal's scott fewer testified that bupinderpal had told him he'd found a pair of knives near his wife's body and washed the blood off of them he said he did this because he was concerned his fingerprints were on the knives interesting right so we're going back to like before any of this comes out about mm-hmm. Gurpreet, he's just telling his neighbor that after he finds his wife's body, immediately, you know, he goes to her. And right. then I'm not sure what the timeline is, but one of the things he does is grabs a pair of knives, 
To which my question is, how many murder weapons do you need? There's the bar, there's mm-hmm. the knife that Gerpreet had on her yeah. and tried to dispose of. And now all of a sudden there's two more knives. Yeah. Why do you need that many knives? Yeah. And I, I always think like, it's like the strangulation thing we were talking about Mm-hmm. In the last case, it's like you have to think like maybe this is heat of the moment, whatever, you know, this is awful, but you stab someone. I feel like immediately I'd be like, oh my God, what did Disgusted, I do? Disgusted, yeah. Oh mm-hmm. my God, what Frightened. did I do? Yes, yeah. I wouldn't be like, oh, let me go grab two more types of knives. And keep going, yeah. And a weight bar mm-hmm. to smash her head in. Like, oh, this is yeah. just like you deserve life in prison. Thank you. Yeah. So this neighbor continues and testifies that he would often see Bupendra Paul. Um, he would come over to his house and he would show him how to make some repairs. So, you know, some people are handy. So I guess Bupendra Paul would go over to Scott's house and Scott would show him how to do some home repairs. But during this time, Bupendra Paul would often bring Gurpreet with him, which is, you know, kind of a little strange. Yeah. He said that the pair were playful, joked around and clearly wanted to be together. So this is a direct quote, and I'll let you read it, Marie. It seemed like they were a couple. Right. So this is a friend of a Pinder Paul, a friend mm-hmm. and a neighbor. It just like, you know, when you know someone and you just think like something. Something's up. Something's wrong. Something's different. Yeah. Scott continued and testified that the gills, so Bupinder Paul and Jagtar, by comparison to Bupinder Paul and Gurpreet, seemed to have a less affectionate relationship. Bupinder Paul would occasionally taunt his wife. Scott told the court. Mm. And while he never saw any fighting or arguing, the taunting made him feel uncomfortable. So if you rewind and go back to our first episode about domestic violence, Mm -hmm. that had a big theme there. And one of the things was belittling your partner in front of other people. So this taunting to me feels a lot like one of those warning signs, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you love someone, you're not putting them down constantly, especially in front of other people. Yeah. So uh, Scott continued by saying, quote, and I'll let you take it over, Marie. It didn't seem to me that there was a lot of affection there. So this is kind of a, a nice, uh, nice firsthand account for us, you know, hearing this to see mm-hmm. that not just like from, you know, news reportings or, you know, kind of black right. and white statements. We're seeing this as a firsthand account from a friend of Pinder Paul's. Yeah. And from someone who's outside of this situation, like, of course, Gurpreet was involved. She was also a neighbor, but she was involved. So to hear this from another neighbor who's not involved in the actual murder itself, but to help put the puzzle pieces together and say, you know, yeah, they did look like a couple. Yeah, there was some definitely something going on that wasn't right there. And that kind of solidifies the fact that there were a lot of red flags. Exactly. I feel like this case is just evidence on top of evidence on top of evidence mm-hmm. on top of ev- like you can't get more evidence on two people for committing a crime like this y'all are guilty and of course on top of this there was all the incriminating dna evidence that had been collected at the scene and matched with the envelope from the fate contest that Gurpreet had licked and entered. So even the fact that we just said that they tried to take all their fingerprints off from the murder weapons, and that's why they ended up finding fingerprints on those murder weapons, um, 
I just find it kind of weird that even though they tried so hard to to hide all of the evidence, they really didn't do a good job. Yeah, they're bad at this. Mm-hmm. Like they're very really bad at this. Yeah. <laughs> and not to mention the video evidence of Bupinderpal trying to get rid of the replica, right? The mm-hmm. fake murder weapon. Yeah. In my head, I can't see from the information that we have as the public not finding these two guilty. And when the nine week trial was finally over, the verdict was announced. Bupinderpal and Gurpreet were both found guilty of first-degree murder. They automatically received life sentences with no chance of parole for 25 years. So again, hands up, everybody clap. Finally, it's Mm -hmm. just over for this family. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that both of them got convicted and like it wasn't shifted only onto like one person to blame when really they both had a hand in this. Right, and they both got the mm. same sentence, right? I feel like it could mm-hmm. have very easily gone another yeah. way. Like yeah, because could have gotten way more time exactly. than Bupinder Paul. Mm-hmm. But he- exactly, like technically she did the murdering, but at the same time, it was obviously still a huge part of her doing that action. Definitely. We're so glad at this point that they are sentenced with no chance of parole for 25 years. Jagtar's niece read a victim impact statement on the behalf of her grandparents and Jagtar's parents. Jagtar's children have been robbed of a mother's love, she read. There is no closure as we often hear. There's no moving on. There's nothing. And we mean absolutely nothing that makes you feel better. They say time heals all wounds, but we have to disagree. The only thing time has done for our family is to move the tragic loss of Jagtar further away. It hasn't made it better. Your short life enriched the lives of so many people. You will never be forgotten loved forever. After the statement was read and the court proceedings ended, the front row of the courtroom occupied by friends and family joined in a Sikh prayer. Family members said they now plan to follow Jagtar's wishes and have her ashes spread in India. Bupinderpal's lawyer said he will appeal. He described his client is shocked and devastated by the verdict. Gurpreet's lawyer said his client is very emotional and extremely disappointed in the verdict. The only thing they should be devastated and disappointed pointed in is that they actually carried out the murder the denial that is going on here yeah. it feels like is yeah you'll see the reason why i added this if this was mm. the end of this case yeah it would have ended on a... the family victim statements but mm. it's not okay yeah because we don't want to give these people like a spotlight and that's not mm-hmm. what we're trying to do but it, it sets us up for what's coming next So as I just said, everyone's hoping this is all over, right? Justice has been served. The people that have perpetrated this crime have been sentenced. But unfortunately, in 2019, Ontario's Court of Appeal set aside their convictions and granted the pair a new trial. So this is going to be, you know, some some legal stuff that we obviously don't fully understand, but I'll try to try to say it in the simplest way. The appeal court ruled the original trial judge gave incorrect instructions to the jury, allowing them to find the pair guilty or not guilty of first-degree murder. By failing to instruct jurors that they could find Gurpreet guilty of second-degree murder and thereby conclude that she acted alone without premeditation the first trial judge erred in law basically it was just he he misspoke so Mm -hmm. he he said something incorrectly and based on this they were you know they were granted a new trial so a brand new trial new jurors they have to go through everything all over again all over again 
Yes, and the family is put through this all over again. Yeah, that's what's unfortunate is the family has to relive that and hope that justice is still served in this second trial as well. The second trial took place just this last summer in 2021. I couldn't find any information about how long the trial was, but we can only imagine how tragic this was for Jack Tar's family, as we mentioned. They now have to relive the events of their loved one's death all over again. The thought of Gurpreet and Bupinder Paul Possibly getting a not guilty verdict was probably overwhelming. The same narrative was discussed in the second trial as it was in the first. The couple wanted to be together and Jagtar was in the way. Thankfully, Bupinder Paul and Gurpreet were once again found guilty and were sentenced again to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. Uh, Thank goodness. Uh, putting us through all this emotional stress yeah. for no reason. I can't believe the family had to go through that all over again. And thank goodness it's the same verdict, but I, you know, the fact that it, a whole other trial had to be set in place just for the sake of having the same verdict. Awful. Because in my head too, it's like, how do you think this comes out a different way? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. how do you think that this is going to show know, any different? Yeah. yeah. So once again, Jagtar's niece read a victim impact statement on behalf of her parents and grandparents. The second trial reopened their wounds, she said. She told the court of the 91 months of pain and grief they endured and how they are forever broken. This week, we will be donating to Family Services Ottawa. This is directly from their website. We offer counseling and support services to anybody in Ottawa who needs it. No matter what it is you're dealing with, we're here to listen. We offer a safe space and will help you work through whatever is troubling you. Our programs are run by counselors who are highly skilled and trained in each of our service areas. Family services staff and clients who have already benefited from our services are also involved in making our programs as helpful and successful as they are. We're available and we're open. Everything we do at Family Services is focused on helping our clients, whether it's an abusive relationship coping with stress and anxiety, or adjusting to a divorce or separation, we have programs that can help. By helping the individuals who live in it, we help our community. There is nothing more satisfying than that. The idea behind donating to this cause was thinking about Jagtar's children and her family members and hoping mm -hmm. that they have found an organization similar that have been able to support them through their loss. It's not a situation that happens to many people so I'm sure it's hard to find help that can actually help you grieve and help you go through the motions to move forward in your life so I think this would be some like an example that could actually really help the kids for sure we're happy to support them and thank you for the good work that you're doing pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram so please follow us at terrible true crime and if you enjoy the show please subscribe and leave us a review below if you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us and see you next time.